Welcome to the Novel Discourse Podcast, where we discuss great stories and how they're told. I'm Sam, here with Andy, and Andy, I've got a crazy sports story to tell Do you. Do tell. Um, I was reading about this, um, there, there's there's this kind of G League for the PGA Tour called the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, yeah. G League, Summer League, whatever you want to call it, but it's like it's, it's the feeder, it's the, uh, the 3A, if you will. I read about that guy, uh, Webb sent us a, a story about that dude the other day, the former addict who had been like an active, in active addiction while he was on the Corn Ferry Tour and in the PGA. Yeah. It was crazy. No, different guy though. Different, different story. The story is nuts. And this is one of those stories that you, you read about and you're like, why haven't they made this into a movie? There's been so many, you know, s- sports stories or things retold over the years. Like, why isn't this one, you know, make it into the, onto the silver screen? There's this, anyways, on the, on the, the Corn Ferry Tour on the, as I said, the the AAA, the PGA Tour. There's this guy who won last week named Tyson Alexander. And his grandfather is this guy named Skip Alexander. Now, Skip Alexander played on the PGA Tour in the 40s and 50s. And um, he won like three times within a three-year span and was, was kind of an up-and-coming star. And then he got into a plane crash. Oh, no. Um, and the only survivor, as this plane is burning, he kicks the door open crawls out of the fuselage and has burns covering 75 percent of his body lord so he's basically toast and he needs 20 operations over the next year or so just to get back to semblance of being normal and at the time his sponsor was wilson um wilson like tennis and golf and all Mm -hmm. that stuff you've probably heard um or the 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 volleyball volleyball. if you will yeah and wilson cut down a mini five iron for him so that and he went to the doctor and took his golf grip and said do whatever you want but i've got to be able to hold this golf club wow that's this is like my life and so they worked around that because they they thought that they would have to freeze some of his joint movements in his fingers but he was like as long as i can hold a golf club i'm i'm gucci he again isn't really able to play much golf, but at the time he had qualified for the Ryder Cup, which if if you're not aware, the Ryder Cup is this huge team event that happens every two years. It's the best golfers in the United States versus the best golfers in Europe, and um, it's a huge, huge deal for the golf community. Well, back in the 1950, they go play it at Pinehurst Number Two, which is one of the most historic courses in the world, certainly one of the top three most important courses in the United States. And the captain is this guy named Sam Snead, who is I've heard the name uh, Tiger Woods. Yeah, Tiger Woods just passed him um, for most PGA Tour wins of all time. And at the time, his star player is Ben Hogan, which Ben Hogan, you, you may have heard Definitely. that name as well. Ben Hogan is, um, you know, I would say before Jack Nicholas, before Arnold Palmer, it was pro- he was probably considered the best golfer of all wow. time at that point. Maybe maybe Bobby Jones was also in that consideration. But Ben Hogan today is the guy that like you break like when you look at a golf swing, like Ben Hogan has the best golf swing. Well, Ben Hogan was going to be our our kind of thoroughbred, and going up against Team Europe, there's a player on the European team who won the 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 European money list, and his name was John Patton. John Patton was a was a really good Scottish golfer. He won like something like fifty times over there, and was kind of the again the thoroughbred of the the European team. Well, they sat Skip Alexander the first few days of the Ryder Cup because this dude, like, couldn't move. Like, he couldn't walk 18 holes, essentially. 
and he's just like covered in bandages like a mummy like he's bleeding still like having you know you know when you have like a uh if you've ever been burned by something like whether it's like a light bulb or a match like you know that when it when it blisters it, it can just start bleeding at random times yeah. well his whole body's doing that Ugh. right yeah it's rough and so um singles day comes there's the final day of the Ryder cup is singles matches the you know it's kind of the most important day if you will because not only does it usually define who wins the cup but it, the idea of like one-on-one i'm gonna take this guy down is is a big deal well ben hogan wanted to play john Patton. he wanted to play the the stalwart from europe well there's some strategy in the Ryder cup and basically the um sam sneed was like no we're gonna we're gonna pair skip alexander against him because there's this theory in Ryder Cup where it's like, I don't want, you know, it's, it's like, this guy's probably going to win anyways, this John Patton guy, so I don't want to put Ben Hogan against him and possibly lose that point. I want to throw Skip Alexander as, like, fodder, if you will. Like, I know we're probably going to lose that match. We might as well throw the guy out there who is prob- who is almost certainly going to lose his match anyways. Yeah. Skip Alexander, the guy that's basically dying. Right. And uh, Skip goes out there and is like, you know what? I'm probably going to lose, you know, I either the, either I'm going to lose fast or I'm going to win fast. So he just starts going at every flag. He just, like, goes pin hunting, goes for birdie on every single hole, kicks John Patton's ass, wins eight and seven, which is insane. In golf terms, that's insane. That means that, again, over a 36-hole match, you win enough holes early that you don't even have to play the last eight holes, which Jeez. is unheard of. Um, Yeah, so just totally kicks this guy's ass, and he's like... The entire time this match is happening, Skip Alexander is saying that he can't even grip the club because his hands are bleeding so much that his hands, the golf grip is shifting in his hands, and he would have to like, it's like change his from socks, the, the like blood it. and stuff. Good yeah, Lord. he's having to change bandages and socks every few holes because his feet are just soaking through the shoes with Good blood, God. like crazy, crazy stuff. So yeah, what an insane comeback story! Like to, again, to basically it is it's a crazy david and goliath story and i think sports have this unique way of having high stakes and these high achievements that seem just so impossible and that's why i feel like sports stories are they're always a good place sports are a great place to find incredible stories yeah, it's, where um, we, it's where we manufacture heroes so, for sure yeah so i th- anyways i thought i i read that and was like why have i never heard yeah this story it's, before, crazy. it's crazy it's crazy it makes me very much think of uh you know they made rush a couple years ago and yeah the the nicky lauda story is very similar where he has this horrific crash third degree burns all over his body they don't know if he's gonna die and he goes on to be this incredible champion and yeah man those stories of overcoming adversity to you know stand atop the entire world that's something that is you know such an elite activity that only so few people can really do at that level is is always just like awe inspiring yeah speaking of f1 i can see you're wearing your mclaren uh hoodie right now who won today uh, at the last well today is this the sprint race so uh f1 is experimenting right now with this new, oh okay this is for the poll uh yeah it's 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 this new format where a couple races a year instead nor a normal f1 race is uh, they practice on Friday, they qualify on Saturday, and that sets the grid for the race on Sunday. Uh, a couple races a year now, what they're doing is called the, the sprint format, which is they qualify on Friday, then on Saturday they do a sprint race, which is only 21 laps, so they don't have to change tires, they can pretty much just go all out the whole race. There doesn't need to be any strategy, it's kind of more fun for the fans, because it's, it's all speed-based. Um, and then if you win... The the finishing order of the sprint race on Saturday determines the grid for the Grand Prix on Sunday, and there's some points associated with it. So uh, my boys at McLaren, 
They qualified uh, third and sixth for the sprint race today. They got they ended up in the top ten, so they're going to start in the top ten tomorrow. And on lap twenty of twenty one, Max Verstappen passed Charles Leclerc to, to take. Uh, he's going to start number one on the grid tomorrow. But yeah, disappointing. I am I am not a Max Verstappen fan. So, which is a controversial opinion no, for all a, the he's... all the new. All the new money F1 fans that have joined in the last 12 months are big Verstappen fanboys, and I do not like the kids. So. I don't understand. I, I don't understand it. It's like, you know, a huge tangent, but we were texting about the ultimatum, yeah. <laughs> the dating yeah. show. And uh, if you, it, it's nuts. Uh, it makes us Texans look awful because of the, you know, 12 people on that entire show, there's like maybe two to three people that are, you know, not awful awful and, and that was purposeful they, they just, looked for you know the, the show wouldn't be fun if it was just like yeah no i i don't really have a desire to date someone else i would prefer to date my wife thanks like that wouldn't be a, a good show yeah people, for sure yeah but yeah there's a like max verstappen is like you know madeline just bro. no no, rede- no redeeming qualities he's, he's a and shithead from I, a sh- I, re- I read internet opinions that are like madeline is so beautiful inside oh, no. now and i'm like what show are you watching? <laughs> Max is a shithead from a shithead family. His dad has beaten every woman that he's ever been with. He tried to kill Max's mom with a car while drunk. Like, And he you know, called Lewis Hamilton the N-word last year during their big championship battle. So, you know, not a great family. And the fact that Max is like... You know, just like anytime anything doesn't go his way, he's just like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, report him to the authorities. Like, he's like the male Karen of the F1 world. He's a child. Yeah. I mean, he's incredibly he really fast, is. super quick. I don't want to take away from his talent. He's an incredibly talented driver, super young. So maybe he's just like, he'll develop into a more mature guy. A lot of dudes when they're, you know, if you're the best race car driver in the world when you're 19 years old, it's hard to not have a huge head. Like, you kind of have to be almost a nutcase to go take corners at 230 miles per hour you have to think you're invincible and the best but he just rubs me the wrong way man i cannot get on board with it so i am uh thoroughly enjoying that uh, a year after his very controversial championship win uh ferrari put it all together and they seem to be on their way to a title this year so i'm you know my italian roots are taking over and i am thoroughly rooting for ferrari dude being a sports fan and having a guy who is just a villain sucks when they're doing well but it sucks even more when there's a a portion of your sport that you root for that love oh, I him. Know. like i can't dude we, we've talked so much about like as a golf fan i can't stand that new golf fans are like brooks yeah. brooks is so great for golf and it's like dude he's he's such a tool he's he's like a, a legitimately bad uh, person well you and i both lived through the like Guys, Johnny Manziel is good for football, dude. He's the new era. He has some fun while he's out there. He's a personality. And, like, everyone – and it's like you don't want to sound like an old head that's like, you know, my grandpa hated Joe Namath because he wore white shoes. You know what I mean? You don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, there's a middle ground between that and, like, yeah, this dude's clearly a shithead. Like, he's he's not a good teammate. He's not a good player. He's not a good dude. He's just like – you know, he was he was in a great situation, and he's talented enough at a certain level to put on a show. But yeah, I mean, ugh, it's it is I hate to use the you know one of the new age terms that everybody throws around, but it truly is straw manning when people are like, 
oh, you just hate this guy because he's flashy oh. or he's, you know, he breaks the status quo. It's like, no, dude, that's not what we're yeah. saying. We're saying that because he's a legitimately bad person that, like, is fooling you well, into thinking that's everything, that he's... though. Like, anytime you're like, hey, uh, this guy is running a scam or something, people are like, you're just jealous because he's rich, dude. <laughs> you're a hater. You're just mad because he got to the bag. Right. I'm like, no, I don't hate Aiden Ross because he got to the bag. I hate Aiden Ross because he's an actual piece of shit human <laughs> who steals money from his fans like nah dude you're just mad because he has a lambo i'm like I, dude i don't give a shit who has a lambo like it's just like god uh so let's get let's get to the topic yeah let's get to, let's get to annihilation which before we get to annihilation uh quick tidbit about alex garland i went and watched um the northman last night which was incredible and we are pivoting i think we we're gonna do next week um murder on the orient express the novel but we're gonna squeeze in a, a, a northman episode because northman was just so good but when i was watching the northman there was a trailer and it was this horror movie and uh like 20 seconds into the movie i literally looked at my friend and was like this kind of looks like a like one of those a21 movies and then it was set and then it showed the a21 oh, yeah uh text to be like oh this is a horror movie cool and then i was like this kind of looks like an alex garland and then sure enough it literally said from alex garland and my friends are laughing and, I'll, and he's like who is he and he's like and i go he's the guy who did um what's it called ex machina and annihilation and then it literally yeah. said on the from screen the, from who the mind of, of yeah, annihilation exactly. yeah <laughs> i was like i promise i have not seen this trailer before but it was for this movie called uh men or man yeah coming out. yeah um looks intense Dude, so. he's he makes uh, really cool i love that uh alex garland is like a rarity I, th- I feel like in hollywood that he is incredibly critically acclaimed and he gets a lot of rope to make really like heady movies that don't necessarily make that much money but i think they're important movies and in the modern hollywood machine yeah. of like make us another Avengers movie that makes a billion dollars with a $500 million budget. He does not do that. And I'm super happy he exists. And this movie that we're about to talk about is a, you know, just a prime example of why, like, I think this movie is incredible. Well, you brought up how much the budget and how much money this movie made. Annihilation had a budget of 40, 40 to $55 million. It's kind of crazy that we don't know the exact budget. Cause that's a pretty wide berth, <laughs> extra $15 million. Yeah. And then in box office, it made, 43 million so this is um i think it's technically a flop right numbers wise it well and it keep in mind it released simultaneously in theaters and on netflix so 90 percent of unless you were just like so into the idea of this film that you were like going to make the conscious decision to go see it in theaters like you were just going to stay home and watch this the day it came out so that definitely impacts your box office movies as far as like what money they made from this movie uh, I am fairly confident that they like you know got a huge bag from Netflix, so I don't know how you calculate that as far as like the win loss of a movie, but you know he obviously it didn't hurt his reputation, which I'm I'm glad. Yeah, speaking of the release, I want to read this tidbit from from Wikipedia because I found this interesting. It says, due to a poorly received test screening, um, David Ellison, who's the financier from Skydance, said that. The film was too intellectual and too complicated for the test audiences, and, and they demanded some changes, including um, changing some some of uh, Natalie Portman's character in the, in the post edits, and then also they changed the ending, which I don't know what the what the ending was. I do know that the way that this film ends is significantly different from how the the novel ends. The novel ends with Natalie Portman's character Lena. Yeah, you say it? Lena stays in the, the shimmer in the shimmer or area x as they call it in the novel um whereas this one 
she she goes back and obviously we'll get into what happens but um yeah you can they definitely made some changes to this film to make it a little bit more for general audiences and and almost add more action if you will because again the novel is very it's almost like a mystery unraveling in front of you it's a lot of theme and stuff but there's there's some crazy differences between the two which we'll we'll kind of talk about yeah this is a movie you and i talked the other day about the frustration of uh and this is going to sound super pretentious but like there is a crowd of people who view any subtext, thematic analysis, anything about a movie like that as bullshit. They'll just be like, that's bullshit. Like, you're reading yeah. too much into it. It's just a movie. Like, I want explosions, you know? And this movie is like a prime litmus test for that. People like that and people that are not. Because, like, if you, go, if you yeah. go search, like, Annihilation Summary on YouTube... You'll be inundated with these movies that kind of like tell this story as if it is like a literal sci-fi alien movie, and they'll they'll try to analyze kind of like, oh, like what are the aliens gonna do next? Like, you know, what is the what's the sequel gonna look like? And that's really not what this movie's about at all. Like, it, it kind of doesn't yeah. matter like what the aliens, like the background of the aliens or the science fiction elements. Like, that's the point, though. Right. This is like a super heavy heady analysis of like depression the human capacity for self-destruction the marks that we leave on ourselves and others when we go through trying times and in a very interesting way i think that this movie the best way i've heard it described is uh we are in the west especially like incredibly married to the traditional hero's journey of like you you know you start as this character from like a small town you leave and you come back and you're this totally changed person and this movie almost asks, like, what if, you know, you, you leave, you endure all this trauma, and you come home and you're still just you, but you carry this scar. And you're not, you didn't, like, become, you know, some grander thing. You didn't become uh, a highly evolved hero that saved the world. You're just, like, you, but, you know, plus trauma. More and, broken. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so this movie uh, uses a whole bunch of, it uses cancer heavily in, you know, Many in many different of the different characters' narratives as like a uh, as kind of a device to examine kind of that scarring that people carry for for emotional and physical trauma. Um, but it's a the, I had to watch this movie several times to really feel like I grasped it, and I loved that about it. I thought yeah. again, like for a movie that like people have heard of, like I think the you can ask most people and be like, yeah, I remember when that came out, and it's it's a very high end movie conceptually for a movie that is has that wide of a recognition i think cancer is a wise choice to to make such a heavy theme throughout this because this movie is about mutation of cells but it's also about like trauma and and how life events affect you and cancer is like kind of the melting of those two themes the other thing is this film was probably extremely fun but also difficult to put onto screen because Almost by design, this story is about an alien or a, a almost like a deity that is yeah. that is impossibly hard to grasp. Yep. And so it takes a lot of different forms throughout this film, particularly at the end where you you finally get face to face with the alien, but it takes on this kind of like xenomorph that you don't even really understand what's in front of you. And I think that the, I think the movie does a pretty good job of 
showing you all of those, which again, like I said, would have yeah, been very and that, hard. That scene in the lighthouse, which I'm sure we'll get to is like so beautifully done from a thematic standpoint. Um, I don't want to get there too quickly, but yeah, we'll, we'll get there. So just to give you kind of a, just a, a general overview, this movie is basically about uh, at some point in the current present or near future, the U S government has kind of identifies this crazy area in, I think it's supposed to be like in Florida, just like in the, in the Everglades of Florida. Yep. It shows a, it shows a, a a satellite imagery of a coast. And as it zooms out during one part of the film, when it shows where this area might expand, it shows where the uh, top of Florida becomes or where the panhandle becomes the peninsula. And I actually looked up that there's this area called St. Mark's Wildlife Preserve. And then there's this St. Mark's Lighthouse. And this is all, um, if you look at a map, you've got Destin and then Panama City Beach kind of is southeast of it along the coast. And as the coast, again, moves to the southeast uh, towards Tampa, in between Panama City Beach and Tampa is where we're, where this area in real life takes place, if you will. Yeah, so it's it's in this area of Florida. There's a, three years before the movie starts, a meteorite strikes this location. And this crazy kind of like i don't even want to call it a fog but just like a again this is this is going to be such a difficult one just to describe but this area begins to experience just crazy uh mutation and change as the area affected by this entity or uh, phenomena begins to expand and the government obviously is like what the fuck's going on here so they kind of coordinate off they send in a green beret team and our main character, Lena, is a biology professor. She's an army veteran, and she's in a long-term relationship with a Green Beret who is played by um, Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaac. And he is sent. He is one of the Green Berets that's sent into the Shimmer to like figure out what's going on in there. Because what they have observed, even from just like what's going on at the edges, is that plant life, animal life, even human beings are being like rapidly mutated or even evolved evolutions are being uh kind of coalesced together so like different different life forms are being like combined and like they're changing at their very genetic root um and the team that goes in there like disappears except for uh oscar isaac comes back and he like very quickly he shows up and then like very quickly like begins dying so they're like holy shit like this is really scary so and i think it's important to point out um two things first of all I think the very first scene in this film we, we kind of glossed over was it shows Natalie Portman sitting in a all white room with people with hazmat suits sitting around yeah. her being like, so what happened? And she can't hardly explain it. She's very, she's not talking hardly at all. And then it kind of goes into what you just described as like, this is what happened before right. Natalie Portman got in the room. Shout out to Wong who played the doctor who was a good Yeah. And, her, and again, like it's, it's we are describing what you physically see on screen but what what the kind of underlying subtext here is that like the relationship between Lena and her partner has undergone incredible stress and trauma via like infidelity their own personal trauma that they're bringing to the relationships obviously they're both military veterans so there's kind of some int- intonation that there might be some like PTSD involved uh the government asks that uh Lena lead a team of, uh, in in this case, an all female team of scientists uh, and specialists into the Shimmer to like recover the research that previous teams had done and like try to figure out like what's going on because this thing's expanding. They have no idea how to stop it. They have no idea what it really represents. 
and Lena kind of agrees to it, knowing that it's a suicide mission. And she kind of says that that, like, based on the fact that her the only thing really holding her to her normal life is Kane, who is Oscar Isaac, and he had cheated on her. And so now that Kane has right. like kind of severed her last connection to like what she considers a good life, she's decided that accepting this suicide mission is totally fine. Right. And 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 a few, one of the changes that the film decides to make that is again not in the the novel is that in the novel they have a fractured marriage, but it's simply fractured because some marriages just yeah. fracture. Like some relationships start to fall apart for reasons beyond just a very hard pivot and they wanted to give this like an inciting incident rather than uh, the much more like complex topic of just like the slow degradation of time and the effect it might have on two people that change who they are. Yeah, and because in, in a two-hour film, it's a little bit harder to be like, wait, why is their marriage falling right. apart? As a, and it's easier to be like, oh yeah, like show a credit card statement on the table or bring yeah. up the fact that he cheated on her. And I and also obviously important decision to make him the cheater just because like. It, it creates a little bit more sympathy for our our protagonist. Yeah, and we're going to be examining her trauma largely, so I feel like they needed her to experience the trauma. I think also part of this is that as this movie kind of begins to play out, what we see is that the people involved in this mission are each carrying their own trauma into the shimmer. And I think a, a lot of the imagery, a lot of the themes revolve around this idea of like, I can't remember what the, the famous thought experiment is about like the axe or the, the Greek ship where they're like, if you replace every plank of this ship over time as part of routine repairs, is it the same ship once you've replaced every single plank or like you have a, an axe with a head and a handle. And if you, over time you dent the handle or you dent the head, so you replace the head and then, you know, the, the handle gets worn down, you replace the handle is that still the same handle? And so, or is that still the same axe? Um, and largely this movie kind of tackles the idea of like, if you go through all these like traumas and self-harm and all these things that humans experience and every piece of you is changed and they use the shimmer obviously as this very like visual vehicle of like cellular change deep down into your, your soul, your genetic code are you even the same person that you were before that if everything about you is completely altered and that obviously plays yeah, heavily into this it's called the ship of theseus thank you very way. much i, I would not have remembered that because i didn't want any of our fans to be like it's a ship of yeah, theseus yeah, you idiots yeah. and, got and have us not go back to it because because i i hate when i'm listening to a pod and they don't address their mistakes like the time that we said that it was elton john who made the Tarzan soundtrack and not Phil Collins. Oh yeah, that dude. That's I'm never gonna live that down. It's one of the biggest mistakes of my life up to this point. Um, so they 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 enter the Shimmer and they're in there for a couple days and they we cut to like three days in. They've been in there for three days and none of them remember anything that's happened, which is I cannot imagine that. For, like that would be so terrifying. So like that would be terrifying. Yeah, they they realized by their rations they were like, well, looks like we're eating all of our food, but we don't even remember making camp or yeah. anything, which is. And they start to encounter, as they move deeper in, they start to encounter these, like, crazy mutated animals. They encounter this alligator and eventually this bear that is, like, the scariest animal I've ever thought of in my life. So the wildlife that all the the flora and the fauna are both heavily mutated, they arrive at what was clearly the encampment of the Green Beret mission that went in there. And there's still electronics and records, and they turn on a video... And there's a video of Kane cutting open one of his soldiers' stomachs, and his intestines are like moving around, like like a pile of snakes, which is f- 
fucking yeah. terrifying. Kane, by the way, is is uh, Oscar Isaac, Oscar right. Isaac, who's Natalie Portman's Lena, husband. Lena's husband. Film. So you find like, oh crap, my husband was here is a very important right. point. And so we see uh, as as the group uh, kind of like encamps in this former encampment, they start to encounter the other soldiers that were in there. Like one of them has been completely overgrown by fungi like just like completely eaten by nature and at that night this mutant bear comes out of the woods and kills one of them kills this girl cassie and the group discovers that not only had that one soldier been like eaten by plants but the plants are now growing in human shapes and so that kind of leads them to the belief or the conclusion that the shimmer is almost like a prism like it refracts and changes information that goes into it so as humans have entered the shimmer like the shimmer has absorbed humanity and like begins to grow you know different versions and different shapes of humanity dude this is the part where the fucking bear comes back and the bear has learned how to make human noises and so it can mimic cassie's voice and it's like help me help me as its roar have you ever seen a Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? No, it's on my to-watch list. Full Metal Alchemist has been on there for Anybody who has ever seen Full, Mal- Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood will get PTSD watching the scene. Um, <laughs> and if you want to look up, like, Chimera, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, you will know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'll just kind of leave that for the audience to figure out themselves. It is, like, one of the most absolutely messed up scenes and episodes of any television show you'll ever watch. And uh, I'll just leave it at that for... Dude, I'm, I'm definitely stoked mind. to watch that show. I've heard nothing but good things. Um, so they deal with this bear. It ends up killing another one of their group. And this is the part also where because they're dealing with this just like incredibly trippy, traumatic situation, they all start kind of to reveal their backstories. Ventress, who's in the team, reveals that she has cancer, and that's why she like agreed to go on this mission. Again, bringing back the cancer motif that we saw at the very beginning when Lena was teaching a college class about cancer. And Josie, who, uh, you know, her tattoo is moving and she is, you know, a victim of self-destruction via like drugs and alcohol. And she decides to stop fighting against the shimmer and willfully succumbs to it. And she, you just see her kind of walk into the nature and like be absorbed by it and become refracted by the shimmer. So you're just like, holy shit. Um, And so they, they kind of like conclude that all of this is emanating from this lighthouse that's in the very center of the shimmer and lena manages to make it there and when she gets inside the lighthouse there's this burnt there's a corpse that's burnt to a crisp and there's a video camera next to it and the footage on the video camera uh is it shows kane and the kane is telling the person whoever has the camera to find lena and Lena's like, okay, this is really fucked up. Um, she begins kind of descending into the meteor crater, which is kind of like the you know the origin point of all this crazy shit. And this is where Lena encounters this doppelganger of her, this like shadow person of her. It mimics all her movements. And in my view, this represented like you know kind of her shadow self, all the damage, all the trauma, all the self harm, all the everything that she'd been through had been embodied by this being. And there's this great scene where she tries to run to the door and the doppelganger runs up behind her and almost smothers her. So in this moment, she's almost smothered by her own trauma, right? Like this is the moment where she almost, she almost dies to it. It's weird. This movie's so weird because like 
while those while those are important, it's like I don't even I almost don't even view any of this as real. You know what I mean? Like it's this movie is so cl- to me is so clearly just all this giant dense metaphor that I'm almost like yeah. The important pieces of the story are less about the actual like alien moves here, per, you know, the blocking and tackling and more about like what these things represent, but um yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Lena ends up activating this phosphorus grenade which I feel like is really symbolic this like idea of like there's this shadow self you know all this trauma all this damage that's embodied by this dark version of yourself and it's cleansed by light and by tricking the doppelganger into the grenade she manages to you know light it on fire and it's weird cuz you think it's going to be like defeated but it just kind of like lights itself on fire and kind of calmly accepts that it's on fire and begins to like burn the lighthouse yeah. down and Lena is able to uh, escape and she watches as the shimmer kind of begins to collapse. Yeah. And in a almost like, I guess that would be kind, kind of considered the, the climax of this movie. And then there's this kind of, you beat the, you beat the alien, you beat right. the beast. Like the, the, the quest is over. So to speak. Uh, and so she's back in area X, like outside of, of the shimmer. Uh, and, Lena is talking again, just like we saw at the very beginning. She's talking to this interrogator, and she explains that the Shimmer's not destroying anything. Like, it's not... It, it isn't a malevolent entity, um, but it's changing everything and making it anew. And she's finally allowed to go see Kane, who's now, like, recovered. He was dying at the beginning. Now he's seemingly okay. And she... It's this really crazy th- scene where she goes, you know, are you Kane? Uh, and he goes, I don't think so. And then she asks if she's really Lena, but she doesn't answer. And they they embrace, and their you can see their irises like shimmer a little bit. So, from a like literal yeah. interpretation standpoint, it's like, oh my gosh, they're both aliens now. But again, I keep going back to this idea that I really do think that like it's less about that. It doesn't really matter. Like there isn't going to be an Annihilation two where like you know Emma, you know, Lena and Kane have alien babies or like they're in, you know, Battleford, New York or whatever, <laughs> like not a, it's not going to be an right, right. Independence Day 2 situation. It's more about like both of them have now experienced and come to grips with their shared and independent trauma and are coming back together, having now acknowledged these things that are now like, okay, how do we move on in our, in our shared existence from this point? I'll say this, <laughs> you can watch like, 20 hours of analysis on this movie on YouTube. Like there are, this is one of the densest pieces of media I have ever encountered and they all go in different directions there. And I don't think anyone's wrong. I keep going back to like, I'm, I'm amazed. I almost feel like the people that were like that funded this movie didn't really understand what they were making. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like he tricked them into making this movie. They're like, Oh, cool. cool. Like a sci-fi, like alien shit. Yeah. That's sick, dude. And he was like, I'm not really making that. I'm making this crazy, like, you know, trauma, like metaphor film, like art film. Oh yeah. And it would have been more like that if they had made it, how the book was, was written yeah exactly i really need to read the book because i've i've heard incredible things and this is obviously these are the kind of projects he takes on um i'm like the biggest fanboy of ex machina i i love that movie so much um yeah it's it's easily in my top 10 i love ex which machina. man i i don't want to derail us too much but on the subject of ex machina i read this incredible white paper published back in the like 80s or 70s Ex Machina is based on this thought experiment that they did at this university where it's all around this idea that like if humans invent 
like truly omnipotent AI that like is powerful enough to destroy us. So in this thought experiment, we invent that and we want the, you know, we want this AI to do stuff like cure cancer and like solve our problems, but we're worried that it could turn on us. So we lock it in this like, like a box that cannot be locked, unlocked from the inside, right? Like for the sake of this hypothetical that exists. And the only way the AI can get out is if someone, a human, opens the box for him. And the thought experiment was they had someone role play as the AI and someone role play as the human and try to convince the human to unlock the box. And in like seven of the 10 attempts, the the AI got let out, even knowing that like, that's the bad outcome. And Ex Machina is based on that thought experiment of like, obviously you you can see the parallels of like, you know, AI locked in a box, convincing a human or tricking a human into letting it out. And it all comes down to like things like uh, Roko's Basilisk, where the AI is like, look, I'm inevitably going to get out and I know who you are. And if you didn't let me out, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) Like, so it's... Yeah, Roko's Basilisk is is insane. Basically just the theory of like, if in the future there's a robot that or yeah. ai that was able to basically objectively improve humanity and like you said cure cancer and things like that then you could follow that line of thought and thinking that anything that was going to prohibit or not allow for roko's basculus to exist is evil or is not is is not uh beneficial to belong on the earth so roko's basilisk again if it is like the all-powerful ai uh would not only be able to like have enough simulations and stuff to know like to basically guess who would be responsible will and will not help it not allowing who will not help it including like their their offspring right right? and so like this ai would be able to go back in time and be like oh yeah the two hosts of novel discourse like they didn't help build rogos basculus who are their great 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 grandkids because like i need to kill them um and so the idea of rogos basculus then becomes Okay, so knowing that this hypothetical is out there. Yeah, just by knowing it. Yeah, it's a mind virus. Like, just by knowing it, you're now fucked. Like, you have to either help the AI, devote your life to helping the AI be born, or tempt fate. Yeah. Like, ugh, it's it's terrifying. It has actually led to, like, mental breakdowns among computer scientists. Yeah, it's called a, what do they call it, like a... It's not called dangerous information. It's called uh, I forget the name for it, but it's this term of, like... It's like something... It's like something hazard, uh... Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Yeah, this. like a information hazard or something, where it's basically like there's there's two different kinds of information hazards. There's the information hazard that is harmful to others, like telling people how to make a dirty bomb in their basement. Like yeah. if everybody knows how to make a grenade make grenade at home, that's dangerous information. Or it's the internal dangerous information, like knowing the day you're gonna right. die. Is is it Big Fish? What's the movie where? You can you look this person in the eye, and you, you if you look through one eye, you yes. know how you're going to yeah. die, and the other one is when you're gonna when die. you're going to die. Yeah. Um, crazy. Yeah, would much rather know. Uh, which one would you rather know? Probably, man. Truly, neither. But if I had to choose one, probably how when would become life crippling i feel like um because you have like a good fifty percent chance of just like seeing yourself die in a hospital bed. You know what I mean? So you're just like, all right, lit. You know what I mean? (laughs) All right, sick. Like, that's fine. Um, Now, of course, you do run the risk of, like, auto accident. You're just like, fuck, I'm never getting in a car again. Like, What if they just show, like, an empty, vast ocean? Oh, God. Nightmare shit, Nope, not. (laughs) Nightmare shit. So, 
but yeah, the so I I apologize uh, for taking us that far off course, but yeah, so like and ruining your he, psyche. He forever. he tackles these just like really heady sci-fi adjacent concepts that I feel like not only are they do they make for cool stories, but they lead to like so much thought afterwards and that's what this movie did for me was just like coming out of watching Annihilation the first time I watched it I feel like I definitely just came I did the straight literal interpretation I was like okay like what's the alien what's the nature of this alien phenomenon and then after I watched it again and I got into some more of the analysis side of things I was like dang like this is a really interesting dive into like what is our relationship with our own trauma? What is our relationship when we bring that into a relationship? How does that affect another person? Like everyone effectively, you effectively pay for the sins of everyone you love. You know what I mean? Like if someone harmed someone that you love from a, an emotional standpoint, like you obviously have to like also carry that baggage to a certain degree. And so this movie like mm-hmm. does a really interesting job examining like, how we carry these marks with us, what effect it has on our ability to relate to others, and how we go about internalizing, dealing with, and attempting to overcome each of those things. And I think it's it has an important note in that movies and lots of media are centered around the idea of like clean overcoming of these kind of things. Like most stories are about like this bad thing happens. But this is how this person triumphed over it. And in this story, that's not what happens at all. Like most of the people do not triumph over their trauma or damage or, you know, bad past pain. They come to terms with it, which is a much more realistic and human journey to go through when it comes to that. Um, Very few people ever get to a point, you know, if they're a victim of sexual assault or they're, you know, victim of childhood abuse very few of them ever get very few people ever get to a point where that is no longer you know they relate to it in the same way that you and I would but they do get yeah. to a point where they have a different relationship with it than the day after it happened and i think that that's a really interesting mm-hmm. emotional and like kind of emotional experiment and thought pathway to go down and this movie does an incredible job tackling a subject that if you assigned that to me if you were just like hey examine this subject in film i would have no fucking idea how to do it so incredible job from a just a the audacity of it is incredible isn't it interesting that each of these characters the kind of skeleton in, in the closet that they brought to the table kind of mirrored their fate in this Absolutely. film like you had um and i don't have the characters names all in front of me but you had one character who lost their child to i believe leukemia right cancer and so, like, again they had <laughs> always cancer in this movie yeah and they had so effectively they had this outside agency just like come and just wreck their life and that and that's kind of what their fate was they got killed by you know an animal and then you had um dr ventress who herself was dying of cancer and in the film she kind of her cells just kind of like burst into what is the effectively the alien right so like her cells she's betrayed by her own body like that's her her enemy and then you have um Again, I don't have the Tessa Thompson's character, who was the one who was Josie, suicidal, yeah. ends up just giving herself up to the the uh, the shimmer, yeah. if you will, and and effectively some form of suicide, if you will. And then you have Natalie Portman's character. Her her kind of skeleton is the fact that her husband cheated on her, and she's kind of living this sort of like shell of a marriage. And that's kind of how the movie ends. Yeah. Is like she, ha- you know, her husband left her for the shimmer, came back a different person, and she kind of 
openly embraced him with open arms knowing that it's not really the real him yeah and i think that's so important again back to what i just said about just like the idea of how people relate to traumatic events like we see so many love stories that are about like moving on from that like a clean break and like they never talk about it again but in reality like relationships that experience infidelity are never the same it's just impossible for them to really ever be the same and unless you make the decision to I'll say this, even if you make the decision to clean break from that person, you carry that scar with you to your next relationship, like inevitably. Mm -hmm. Um, So this examination of like how you could experience this horrible trauma, go on your own journey of self-discovery, return back to where you started and attempt to pick your life back up in its shattered form and move forward. That's such a fundamental part of the human experience. And this it's told in this yep. very complex, beautiful way that I don't know if, like I said, I think this movie, I'm going to sound so douchey and pretentious, but I do think this goes over a lot of people's heads when they watch this movie. Like you not, you don't hear that much discussion about this part of this movie, but it, I, I just think it's so beautifully done. I'm in awe of the level of art. Like you said, two different kinds of almost reviews of this film. There's one group that treats this as, um, there's thriller aspects to this film. It's obviously an alien movie. They go in there with huge guns and they're, going to try to find this alien and there's these jump scares and these monsters and you kind of want more of that and so if tonally you those shifts are creating an expectation where you're going to meet this big bad monster and all this stuff like you're not going to get to that right and so you're inevitably going to give this a a five out of ten or a four out of ten or whatever um which is under like it's understandable in a way because again there's a certain expectation with what effectively this kind of has moments where it feels like it's supposed to be a monster film and it doesn't really ever get to that level and then again if you're kind of treating this more as a kind of psychological take on broken people experiencing their brokenness and trying to recover successfully and unsuccessfully then i think you're going to rate this a lot higher so it's sci-fi has a way of creating turning very heady topics into something you can you can hold on to but at the same time there is a a sect of science fiction fans that are looking for what we normally would give the traits or the tropes to like a a fantasy movie where it's like the adventure, the monster, things like that. I think there was a lot of people that went into this um, and myself included when I first watched this film, you kind of expect it to be a little bit more like alien agreed where like, what is, what is in the shimmer? What is in the shimmer? Why are these people like not able to speak? Why is the husband uh, like coughing up blood? And you have all these questions and then you feel like those questions weren't fully answered because at the end of the day, I think what it, part of what Annihilation is saying is self-destruction and it is, is a human trait and it's not a, there's no rhyme or reason yeah. to it. And in this movie, the, there's no rhyme or reason to the alien and what they're doing. They don't have a want or need. It's just a thing that exists and dealing with that thing that exists. Yeah, and it, and it, it has the capacity to destroy you from the perspective of like, if, if your definition of being destroyed is like, I'm no longer what I was. Um, but in reality, you most likely, like, unless you die, right? Like you are, you're just changed and you are forever, you're forever yeah. made anew. I really like what the, what Rolling Stone said about this. Uh, they gave it 3.5 out of four stars and they said, Garland need make no apologies for annihilation. It's a bracing brain teaser with the courage of its own ambiguity. You work out the answers in your own head, in your own time, in your own dreams, where the best sci-fi puzzles leave things. And especially, like we said, in an era where 
so many movies need to be just mass audience digestible. Like they have very surface level. There's very little analysis necessary. And I do. And again, going back to what I said at the beginning, like oftentimes movies like this that do invite a level of subtext analysis, heavy reliance on theme, the events that are being depicted on screen are not as important as what is being said between the lines. Those invite a level of disdain and anti-intellectualism that I think is is really sad in some cases. Like we had this discussion about Batman that um, you know mm-hmm. th- this was a much this last Batman movie which you and I both really enjoyed. Obviously, took a much different approach to Batman in general and much more artistic look at the kind of person who would be Batman and things like that. And that was met by some fans with show me the Terzi explosions. Yeah, exactly. Just like like explosions. Yeah, exactly. And so, and, and, and like you said, if you just watched a trailer, which is often cut by a totally different production house than did the movie, you see this, you're like unknown alien. Which is a bad, which is something that needs to change. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Like I hate it. I'm so sick of it. You, you see like, you know, unknown alien force sending a highly specialized secret government team and they're all armed to the teeth. They've got sweet AR-15s and, you know, where kind of building this tension up as to this encounter with the alien. And the fact that, you know, the ultimate encounter is effectively with ourselves and an unflinching look into our own soul and what we've endured up to this point in our life and not being able in this weird environment that is the shimmer to look away or to distract ourselves with, you know, anything else. The shimmer is so insular that it it keeps you from being able to, you know, you can't sit down and watch Netflix and distract yourself from your own trauma when you're in the shimmer. And so, yeah, I think that this movie uh, does invite some level of, of backlash from people that don't want that in a film, but... Uh, and I certainly don't go into every movie experience wanting this, right? Like this is an ex- like on a certain level of like emotional and things like that. Like this is an exhausting movie. It is hard to like keep this level of intellectual, you know, spin up all the time. But it's important that we have movies like this, and I'm glad that you know that they've allowed Garland to like make movies like this despite them not being you know cash cows. I think that's really awesome. If I could take one critique from this film, I, I think that a lot of the changes that Garland made to make this a little bit more um, of an action thriller, I would have completely removed. Um, I think you either have to do one of two things. You either have to go full Hollywood and make it have even more action sure. and have like a boss fight at the end, which there kind of was a little bit when she's fighting herself. Right, the or whatever, which was pretty heavy-handed. Um, or you have to take the guns away from them and just be like, okay, you're the biologist, you're the psychologist, you're the anthropologist or whatever. Like go in there with your pencil and pad and some radios and see what's up. Right. Like just go in there without guns, like take all the monsters out and just have it be a thought piece and have it be more like a, a spinning into madness. Like we talked, obviously I don't want it to be anything like the lighthouse, which we talked about a few weeks ago, but like if they had introduced like monsters into lighthouse and like had them shooting at monsters and stuff. I'd be like, what? Like, is this an action movie? In a weird way, Garland in a weird way, Garland has almost done both of those. So he did, I don't know if you've ever seen the 2012 judge dread movie. So he wrote, directed, produced that movie. And that was like all beautifully rendered action, super tight, gritty future sci-fi, super cool. And then he did ex machina, which is like entirely about, dialogue 
you know, analysis. That's what I'm looking right. for. That's what I kind of wish yeah. they had done uh, more yeah. of. And, yeah, and I think he kind of tried to meld the two in Annihilation, um, if only to depict, one, a in service of the more literal story, a genuine depiction of how humanity would react to something like that being there. Like, there's no way we're showing up to the Shimmer without guns. You know what I mean? Like, in real life. I think it serves the, the larger metaphor of, like, when when humans go when they do venture into their own trauma and in an attempt to face things like that, they often come bearing, you know, arms. They're there. They, they carry inherent defensiveness into those, those situations. And so I think in some way sending the green berets ahead of them and, uh, venturing in with their own weaponry, despite knowing it's a suicide mission is symbolic of kind of their larger, the larger, uh, positioning that, people tend to take when they're in that situation. But I agree with you overall that like this movie lends itself more to the ex machina side of things than the judge dread side. And right. Maybe it would have met with less hostility from certain elements of its audience. If there had been no guns in the trailer. Yeah. And I just, yeah. So I think there's a little bit of a, um, there's some flips in tone that I think lend people to being a little bit confused in the sure. middle of act two. Like, what am I watching? Is this a, is this a heady kind of think piece? Like, cause dude, if you're halfway through ex machina and you're like, where are the explosions? Right. You're kind of an idiot. Like you, you, there, there's never any promise of that anywhere. Whereas in this one, I think there is a little bit of you that's waiting for the big reveal of the big monster Definitely. and it doesn't really happen the way that you, and, and so there is a part of you that like leaves being like, what? Like, and so if, again, it, if this was a video game, imagine a video game where like, you know, Legend of Zelda or something, where, like, you have these, you know, a temple, a boss fight, like, puzzles, boss fight, and then at the end, there's, like, an hour worth of puzzles, and then it's like, all right, you win. You'd be like, where's Ganondorf? Where's, am I not, is there not, like, a big boss for me right. to kill? And it, it, it does, again, I, as I said, they do encounter the alien at the end. There is the whole scene with Natalie Portman. <laughs> you get to the, you get to the end of Ocarina of Time, and they're like, you were Ganondorf the whole time, bro. You're like, oh, what the right, fuck? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So there is a there is a bit of that. Again, I, I didn't... You can tell that the movie's a little big in it and like that, but I could see where people, again, not really catching on to some of the clues, being disappointed by the end of the film. Like, it, it lends itself to yeah. that. Um, the, and the other thing I wanted to push back on a little bit was, I, I do agree with you that there's... If this happened in real life, we would have certainly sent in people with guns. So the idea that we would have sent in six unarmed scientists would have not been the case but you know to to kind of look at that through the opposite lens if this was real we wouldn't have just sent in one set of green berets 100 percent. oh you know what we'd have done after that we would have probably thrown in we probably would have flown f-16s into it or sent in drones or sent in a a brigade of like a hundred dudes like we would have kept throwing more at it as opposed to being like well, we tried the Green Berets. Let's send in, you know, six six different not to people, be insulting, but like <laughs> six, six other people, yeah, six six women who most of them don't have military experience. That would have not been right, the answer. Right. Um, they, they their their explanation of sending in the six women was basically, well, we tried men, yeah, which is just strange, like, a little yeah. bit weird. <laughs> I and, and and again, it is it is one of those things where if the shimmer happened in real life, you probably would start thinking outside the box a little bit to be like, man, we literally don't know what this is, so let's try different things. So. The idea that they eventually would have tried that isn't that far fetched, but option the idea number that the two second yeah. attempt was. It reminded yeah, me a little, a little bit, bit of. Weird, uh, but... Did you ever see Arrival? 
Yeah, I, w- I was actually going to make the same uh, premise. Imagine if like Arrival is like they just threw, they just gave a gun to Amy right. Adams, like a rifle, and then and then like had her board the ship and like kill a few aliens, and then the rest of the movie happens. You'd be like, what? Like, wait, where did the whole action that was? Go? That was another movie that I think people like saw trailers for and were like, okay, like big budget alien invasion movie, and it turns out to be more about like link- linguistics and like you know, the, the very real question of like how we would go about communicating with, you know, a completely different entity that had no basis of commonality in our language, which is interesting. But, um, yeah, man, I'm interested to see what Garland does next. I know he has men coming out and then he's also filming this movie called civil war, which we don't know anything about right now. It takes place in the near future and it has Kirsten Dunst in it. That's all we know. Um, but Hmm. after like ex machina and dread and, Annihilation. I'm I'm down to watch anything this guy does, like because it'll be interesting. And the fact that he's got like a he pretty much only does a twenty four movies, which a twenty fours be hit, dude. When I see that logo, I know it's going to be at least very interesting. And they they are kind of the oh, yeah. the torch carrier for like the modern art house film, which I bad love. robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad robots. The other one where I see that alien or that robot running across the field, like especially you know. Six, eight, ten years ago, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be Fuego. absolutely." So, or Lions, or not Lionsgate. Uh, what's the one where it is Lionsgate, right? Lionsgate had us. Oh yeah, definitely. To, I, I definitely. can imagine the opening. Yeah. Anyways, uh, final thoughts, rankings. What are your What are your? I mean, takes? it's so hard to like rank this movie. Um, I mean, if you're going to compare it to other sci-fi movies, it probably doesn't do that well. Like, because again, it's just not really that much of a sci-fi movie. It's Almost unlike anything else I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I would say. So, being in that it's in its own category, it might be the best movie of its kind and the worst movie of its kind ever made. But overall, yeah. I would say that uh, the first time you watch this movie, if you go in with like no knowledge, it's probably like a seven, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little more, depending on your taste. Yeah. And then after you've sat with it, analyzed it, really dug into it, I'd, I'd bump it up to a 7.5 or an 8. Um, again, I think it's it's a – it is an incredibly powerful and brilliant emotional exploration of a very human topic that almost everyone interacts with in their daily life viewed from an angle that you've tr- probably – I mean I, I'm confident in saying you've never seen this topic you know, explored from this perspective before. Um, and that's what, that's what the best art should do, right? Is, is tackle important subjects that everyone can, that everyone deals with, but in a way that you never thought of before. And so from that perspective, I give it a solid eight, uh, after, after all is said and done, but this movie does require more of you than a normal movie. You're not going to, I, I, unless you're, there probably are people smart enough to sit down they watch it and they're like, yeah, so that was about, you know, about everything we just said. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I'm, I don't have that kind of intellectual horsepower. Um, but I, I think after you have all the correct context and everything, this is a solid eight. A lot of artwork depends on the perspective you're looking of at course. it. And obviously in modern art, it's no different when you're looking at um, an old Renaissance painting and you're like, okay, it's a girl. What's the big deal? And then somebody who's an art historian is like, no, you don't understand. Like the way they did the shadowing right. and the way they did that this background has literally was never done before. Like this is a new invention at the time. Or when you're looking at modern art and you're looking at a sculpture one way, but then you walk around it and it looks completely yeah. different. You're like, that's really neat. Um, this movie's no different. Um, we talked a little bit about Batman where 
if you are coming into it thinking, uh, you know, one thing, it's going to be like a Marvel film, you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh, if you think, if you're going into it knowing it's kind of more of a gritty detective, you're going to love it. I think Batman, though, is 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 so good that it kind of, as, as I've said before um, <laughs> to some of my other writing friends, if you don't like Batman, I think that says more about your understanding of film and storytelling than it does the yeah. movie. I think that the movie is good enough to like to uh to float above most of the criticisms. Like if you think Batman is like 5 out of 10, then I just I'm not going to respect your opinion. Yeah. Like I just I'm like okay, well you don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. Where I think this one's a little bit different. This is this is a film where if you kind of like modern artwork, it's all about your perspective. If you are told, hey, you should watch Annihilation. What is it about? Well, it's about this, you know, these Green Berets go into this, um, this like alien kind of force field in, in the southern United States and they don't come out. So they send in another group of armed scientists to go figure out what happened to them. And you're like, cool. So it's like an alien sci fi. Yes. Okay. Cool. Gonna go watch that film and I'm gonna be scrolling through my Instagram the whole time. And like, you're just like, where are all the yeah. aliens? Where's all the shooting? And you're just like, and then you're looking at your phone the whole time you're going to be like this movie sucks. Oh, for sure. and you're you're just going to you're going to be like this is a 4 out of 10 but if somebody's like hey what is annihilation and you say well you know the guy who made ex machina he made another really heady piece about like our relationship with our trauma and like self destruction and stuff and it kind of the guy it takes the guise of a um this alien life form of prison has has come to earth and you're gonna they're trying to figure out what it's about and you're like oh it's kind of like a rival yeah okay cool and then you watch it you put your phone away you're probably gonna say be like that was pretty good it's looks like a 7.5 to 8 yeah. out of 10 for what Most it was definitely. um so again it truly more so than a batman or something like it it totally depends on what your perspective is um so yeah i i, I totally agree with you it is kind of it kind of floats above that it's above a 5.5 or 6, but I don't think it's any higher than like an 8 for kind of the reasons that I, I, I pointed at. Totally fair. It sounds like there was some post-editing stuff that, based on what the studio wanted and like the test audience wanted, they just like threw some action in it and threw some heavy... I would, I would have liked to see like, his original okay, cut. Is this, is this I would enough? like to see Gardner's original yeah, vision too. for the movie. Um, I think so rarely... I wish they'd have taken the novel. Yeah. I, I, the novel sounds more interesting. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to give like that a read. I feel like so there is so few times when studio intervention into plot ends up being a great idea. You know, like um, Blade Runner is a notorious example where, like, the studio forced this, like, ending into it that was kind of universally panned, and then they finally released the original, and it was, like, a thousand times better. Now it's considered this, like arch masterpiece of the genre so yeah man i'm definitely gonna give the book a read i think it sounds super cool yeah it it is and there's some there's some crazy elements to it like um there's a there's a psychologist in the party that like um is kind of like the ringleader and has um has basically hypnotized everybody in the group to where like if they're if there's any sort of like mutiny she can say a command and then they just like listen to her damn which plays a huge element into like the theme and stuff. And I was like, dude, that sounds, dude, that sounds super tight. Okay. So. I'm definitely going to go get this on my, my Kindle and read this shit. And it's a trilogy. Oh, so wow. Interesting. It's got, yeah. I mean, imagine if you were the uh, author, if you're Jeff Manamir, you came out with this novel in 2014 and then 13 months later, it got the studio 
bought the rights to it and then like two months later natalie portman signs on to be in it that's pretty yeah, sick that's, that's kind of like the, the author's dream oh yeah yeah i'll come out with a book and then literally like 14 months later it's gonna be made into a motion picture and and one of the biggest actresses in hollywood wants to be in it that's, that's cool. super crazy man that's super crazy yeah so shout out to jeff Van hell yeah dude hell yeah well, as always, it's been really fun. Um, as I said, we we are going to flex in a Norseman episode next week, I'm which stoked, dude, I'm so excited for you to see Norseman. It is. Um, I kind of described it as um, to somebody as it's a it's a uber realistic depiction of like really gritty Viking story told kind of or shot kind of like a Wes Anderson where you've got like these huge establishing shots that will have motion in the background and then or like if when it's a dramatic scene they'll have the camera right up to someone's face and then uh i saw that this the guy who did norseman is uh the same guy who did the lighthouse and i was like oh that no, makes, that's gonna slap that makes sense. Dude. So, yeah it's a slappity slapper um so i've got a lot more to say about it because i've already been diving super deep into it but um we'll, we'll say that can't for wait week. man can't wait seeing it on tuesday as always, this is Novel Discourse. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe and give us a and give us a rating and also tell two friends. This is Sam. Mandy. And we're Novel Discourse. Thanks for listening. Peace. Or you'll hear us soon.